Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. All right. Let's head into uh, 1 Corinthians here. We've been going through this chapter. Last week was the halfway mark, and now we're, uh, we're just tipping over the halfway mark into chapter 9. As chapter 8 ended last week, the big lesson that Paul taught was the value of sacrificing our rights for the sake of someone else's conscience, right? And, and chapter 9 kind of builds on that in a, in a, in a bit of a different way. And here's, uh, here's how it starts. We're going to start reading from, from verse 1, oddly enough, at the beginning. Who would have thought, right? Okay, chapter 9, verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Paul was a man who knew much about rights. As an apostle, he had specific rights that were meant to be afforded to him in support of his ministry, right? Apostles were servants of God for the benefit of the church. As people who devoted their lives to ministering to the church because of a calling from God, it was expected that the church would meet their needs so that they could eat, so that they could have their wife traveling with them, and that they wouldn't have to work a second job just to make ends meet. Paul also writes about this idea in 1 Timothy 5 verse 17, saying, Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. So Paul's asking in these first six verses here, he's asking these rhetorical questions to tell the Corinthians, hey guys, I'm aware of my rights as, a, you know, as, as an apostle to you. While other apostle, apostles had all of their needs met, Paul and Barnabas, they actually had to work a side job in support of their ministry. When Paul first arrived in Corinth, he met a couple named Aquila and Priscilla. And in Acts 18 verse 3, it talks about what they did together, Paul and these two people. It says that Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. So tent making was a skill that Paul used to support himself during all of his missionary journeys. Not just in Corinth, but throughout his journeys to several other cities as well. So even though Paul has this right that he's talking about to receive support, he instead worked to support himself. And Paul keeps going with this point uh, in verse 7. He asks some more questions. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about the oxen God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us, because whoever plants or whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? 
So every time Paul is saying we, he's talking about himself and his companions, the other apostles, the men and the women who are there working and serving in Corinth. In other words, Paul is saying as apostles, we work to meet your spiritual needs. Don't we have the right to be supported by you to meet our physical needs? And here's where things get interesting. We, we see kind of the argument. This is all like the runway, the groundwork that Paul's laying down. And then it gets kind of interesting here in verse 12b. But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered at the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Okay, so in in saying this, Paul fully understands what he is entitled to, to have his needs met by the people of Corinth that he's ministering to. But like 12b says, he and Barnabas didn't insist on these rights. Why not? If they're they're entitled to these things, why wouldn't they say, guys, we're not saying another word until you meet our needs. We need to live. We need to eat. We need to be able to drink and have what we need to survive. Why didn't Paul insist on these things? Because they were willing to put up with all kinds of hardships. Poverty, hunger, even having to work a side job so that the message of Jesus Christ wouldn't be hindered. In other words, so that the message of Jesus Christ and the ministry that they have been given wouldn't be interrupted. If you want to understand a little bit more of everything that Paul and his companions endured in order to share the gospel, look at 2 Corinthians 11, verse 21 to 29. There's quite a list. And it makes, it, it, when I read about that, it just makes me respect Paul for everything that he was willing to endure because he was so passionate about t- telling people about Jesus Christ. So the question here maybe is this. How would Paul hinder or interrupt the gospel of Christ by insisting f- uh, on the support that he, as an apostle, was entitled to? Well, think about a scenario here with me. I'm just making this up, okay? This isn't real, but it's, it's possible that something like this could happen. Imagine if we had a guest speaker come to church one Sunday. He arrived early in the morning, well before the service started. And let's say I was the first one at church to meet him. When he arrived, uh, or when when I arrived, he was in, in fact here already. He shook my hand and then handed me a piece of paper. And I asked, well, what's this? And he tells me, these are my requirements. Oh. On that paper was a list of everything he felt he needed in order to preach that morning. And he mentions, I need these things before I speak, and if I don't get them, I don't think I'm going to be able to share a message with you today. Oh, so I open the paper and I look at this note, and on it is the list of the requirements, which include a room for himself prior to the service. In that room, there should be bottled water, not distilled water, but spring water, you know, the good stuff from Iceland. A bowl of green M&Ms and whale sounds playing gently in the background. As he comes into the service, he would like an introduction which would include all of his credentials, mentioning his diplomas, certificates, and degrees. He would like Hail to the Chief to be strummed gently on the guitar by Kathy Anfinson. Plus, before he leaves his room in the morning, we are meant to provide him with $500 cash. Is it possible 
that requirements like these would hinder the message from being preached that morning. Absolutely. If we don't meet these demands, this guy says that he's going to walk. So we need to meet these needs in his mind. But it would certainly seem like these rights were more important to this man than preaching the gospel was. Would you agree? Okay, you can laugh. It was a totally fictitious scenario. I've never had anyone offer to, for whale sounds anyway, yeah. So Paul is telling us that he's the exact opposite of this guest speaker that we just talked about. He requires nothing. He's willing to go without everything that he has the right to have in order to make sure that the message of Jesus Christ is shared with the people who need to hear it. And then Paul goes a step further in verse 15. But I have not used any of these rights. And I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. This is kind of an interesting passage here, okay? Or an interesting verse, because we see the word boast, and we see that someone would rather die, and it's like, whoa, was this literal? Like, what are you getting at here, Paul? So let's just figure this one out. Building on what Paul has already said in verse 12, the idea that he's willing to put up with all kinds of hardships for the gospel of Jesus Christ, he then tells the Corinthians in this verse, I gladly, gladly, willingly give up my rights to being paid for this ministry that I have. And I'm not mentioning all these things to you as an argument for you to feel bad and start paying me. That's not the point at all. In fact, and now he's proving this point, in fact, I'd rather die than getting paid for serving the Lord. Now this is hyperbole. Does Paul actually desire to no longer live if he gets paid for doing the work that he's being called to do? No. It's just an exaggeration to prove a point, okay? Basically what he says is it would be horrible for me to be deprived of the joy and the satisfaction that I have of serving the Lord, preaching to you free of charge. What an incredible heart, right? Here's a guy who knows everything that should be coming his way. He's received it at some other places in his life. He's received support from many churches that he's preached at. The Corinthians, for some reason, just weren't on board because they were contesting his apostleship to them. And he knew it, but he didn't say these things to insist that they change. He says, no, no, no. This is how much I love you. This is how much I'm committed to this ministry that God has given me. I'm just saying this is where it should be, but if we never get there, I'm okay with that because I'm here to do what the Lord has called me to do. That's just like the most incredible heart. Man, I just love that and it inspires me as a pastor because, I mean, I I see myself in Paul's shoes so many times. I'm not saying that you guys have ever deprived me of anything I've ever needed to support my family, but I just love the heart that Paul has. And I think to myself, I just want that. If our church fell on hard times and God forsake, you know, like a drought were to come and sweep through our, la- our, our land here for seven years and we couldn't provide and our, our town was struggling economically, I want you to know I would not look for greener pastures because I believe with all my heart that this is the place where God has called me and I'm not leaving unless you kick me out for some reason. I'm not leaving. I believe that this is the place to be. I would live here on nothing. I would make a tent in, a, in someone's backyard. 
I would forage for food in people's gardens. I would learn how to hunt. Whatever it would take, seriously, we're committed. We're committed to what God has for us here. And here's why Paul says this, okay? So here's why Paul says, I would rather die than be paid to preach. Verse 16, for when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. From these verses, we learn that Paul understands that preaching the good news about Jesus is his sole purpose in life. Jesus has appointed him to this task. So when he says, I'm compelled to preach, it's not his own compulsion that has compelled him, right? It's God who has compelled him to preach. So he's like, I'm not doing this voluntarily. I'm doing it because I've been given this wonderful appointment by God. Paul knows that he is required to serve Jesus in this way. But Paul also sees this ministry, this obligation, this duty, this responsibility, this task to preach. He sees that ministry as the reward itself. What a great perspective. Paul, while he was still referred to in the Bible as Saul, encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was struck blind and then told to wait by Jesus in someone's home in Damascus. And then Jesus would give him further instructions. For three days he ate and drank nothing. And then the Lord spoke to another man from, from Damascus named Ananias. And he told him this in verse 915. Go, this man, Paul, or who was called Saul at the time, he is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So God says that Paul is who he has chosen. God does not say that Paul came to him and volunteered. It says that God chose Paul. And then later on in Acts 13 verse 2, Paul and Barnabas, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, there was a whole group of them. The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So twice he affirms this. Once to Ananias, this is my chosen instrument. And then to Saul and Barnabas in the anointing that happened as a group of Christians laid their hands on them. He says, guys, I'm choosing you. I have this plan for your lives. Will you follow me? Will you serve me? Will you do it faithfully no matter what the cost? Because my choice for you is that you would live a life in this way. Verse 16 to 18, in my mind, are so significant this morning because Paul understands that he hasn't voluntarily come to the Lord and said, hey, Jesus, I have this idea. What if you sent me out to do all these things that I hate to do because I hate Christians? No, that's who Paul was, but God transformed him, right? Jesus came to him and he called him. He trusted him, as verse 17 said, to preach. Can you imagine, friends, like to know without a doubt that you have been trusted by Jesus for a task? To, to go and to minister into the lives of other people. What a joy that would be. Just ask yourself in your heart right now, do you want Jesus to trust you? Because we've trusted him, right? At least we're certainly trying to. We're trying to live this life of trust 
and obedience and following our Savior. We've trusted Him. We've believed that His death and His resurrection have saved us from our sins. And that's one side. But can you imagine this man who died for us? Can you imagine Him trusting you with a God-given task that would bring glory to His name, that would expand His kingdom, that would serve and benefit His church and other people that have been created in His image who just don't know Him quite yet? That's a joy, friends. We should all desire that our Savior could trust us. Let's look at ourselves here for just a moment. I believe that that 16 to 18 here are all about calling. Paul has been called to preach the good news. We've talked about Jesus trusting us here, but let's take it maybe one notch further. Do you believe, and just answer this in your own hearts, you don't have to answer out loud today, but do you believe that God has a calling for all his believers? I think that's a good question to ask. I think by asking that question, it it helps us to avoid just kind of going through life on cruise control, thinking, oh, as long as I'm just kind of part of the crowd, things should work out fine. I think it's good for us to ask, God, do you have a calling for me? I have a friend back home. His name is Tegan. He's He's about 28 years old, and he has a calling in his life. And it's not for full-time ministry. It's not to go to Bible school. It's not to become a missionary or to serve in some wild and spectacular way. But he loves being an entrepreneur. And he's an arborist. And he started a business uh, about a year and a half ago. And with this arborist business, he feels that the Lord has given him this task of serving people by coming and doing these works in their yards. He, He gets paid for it a little bit. But his main joy is knowing new people. And asking them about their faith. And talking to them about Jesus. And just being kind to them and compassionate. He feels that that's his calling. And it's just part of his job. It's nothing, it's nothing grandiose. It's just serving Jesus in the place where Jesus has brought him. Madison, you and I, we've talked about this this week. And I'm not going to pick on you, but I am going to pick on you. So, We've talked about this often, about like your calling, right? I remember one of the first conversations that we had when I think I was still in Manitoba. I think I asked you, like, why do you like youth ministry? Maybe it was somewhere around then or shortly after we moved here. But you told me, like, you just felt called to the students of this community. Do you still feel that way? She's nodding, everyone. Just so you know, everyone at home, she's nodding. It's good. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what the cool thing is about Madison's life? She has the world by the tail. She could do whatever she wants. She's not pinned down by anything, but she chooses to work a job that has extremely flexible hours so that she can give her time to serving as a youth pastor in our community. When you know your calling, it's a joy, not a burden, right? For us, and my family, Karen and I were remarking about this this week. We just, we love this passage. It was so funny on Tuesday morning, I'm studying it, just kind of getting my feet wet a little bit more, and I called Karen, I'm like, when you read this, did you, like, did you feel like it was talking about us? And she's like, yeah, absolutely. And we, just, we talked, and it was wonderful. While we were waiting to come to Kandu, there were three other churches that asked us, would you please come and be our pastor? And we gladly said no. <laughs> Not because we didn't love them, but because we knew that God was calling us 
here. And the calling of God is more important than the parsonage that they could offer us compared to this one, or a salary, or a community, or, or staying in Canada versus moving to the United States. We just wanted to be where God had us because being in the center of God's will, being at the heart of his calling, friends, there is nothing more beautiful than I've ever experienced in my life. I love my children, I love my wife. You know, being married is great. Watching my kids being born is great. I tell you the truth. Knowing that you are at the center of God's will and doing what he has called you to do tops those things. I still love you guys though. I believe that everyone has a calling. Some of us, it takes a long time to discover that specific calling. But I'm here to put your minds at ease. While you're waiting for that specific calling in your life that God may reveal to you, I want you to know that everyone has a universal calling that Jesus has given to every person who calls themselves his follower. And it's found in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. You've heard this before. This is the Great Commission. Jesus came and he told his disciples. Who are his disciples? That's us. Okay? He says to us, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. No one is exempt from this calling. Praise the Lord. We see that Paul was willing to give up his rights, his whole life, in fact, in order to follow this calling that Jesus placed on him. So, in response to what Paul has modeled for us today, I say, what about us? Are we willing to lay down whatever is necessary so that we can be the disciple makers that Jesus has appointed us to be? Paul sees that God has trusted him to do this, this calling, and he sees it as his reward. And I say, thank you, Jesus, that you've called us to a purpose in our life that we could never come up with on our own. The joy that we have in, in answering that purpose is greater than anything we could possibly understand. In March of 1979, Christian musician Keith Green had made plans to go to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma, because he sensed the Lord was calling him to go and minister in that place. Was anyone, okay, you don't have to date yourself, but was anyone around, does anyone remember Keith Green? Anyone remember him being in Tulsa? Was anyone there? Okay, I don't know. Just check. Okay, so nonetheless, the students of Oral Roberts University were eager to have Keith come and, and sing for them and minister in that place. But the administration of this university told Keith, we didn't invite you, please don't come. So together, Keith, with the people of Last Days Ministries, that's the ministry that Keith and Melody Green started way back in the 70s, when they heard that Oral Roberts said, please don't come, they didn't just say, oh, okay. They said, no, we sensed the Lord saying we're supposed to be there. So they prayed and they fasted and they sought the Lord. Lord, what do you want us to do? What is your plan and your purpose for this situation? And they felt called even more strongly to go to Tulsa anyway. So they went. 25 of them got into what they called the ark. It was their bus. Uh, the, all these people from last day's ministries had gotten a bus. They headed halfway across the country from Colorado to Tulsa. When they arrived in Tulsa, there was nowhere for them to stay, and they didn't really have funds to, to buy something like a hotel rooms for everyone, so they asked around, and they found there was a, a house that they could rent for cheap. There was barely any furniture in this house, so all 25 of them slept willingly on a hardwood floor during the week that they were in Tulsa. 
Keith met with ORU's administration, and God brought them to an agreement that gave Keith three nights in their largest auditorium free of charge. Amazing. After they told him, please don't come, you're not invited. The people from last day's ministries were all very grateful for God calling them there and providing them what they needed for Keith to sing and preach to the people of Oklahoma. But God was speaking still to Keith. And yet again, he told him something. He said, or at the time, just as a note here, at the time, Keith had the number one and the number four albums in all of Christian music. But as the Lord spoke to Keith, he impressed on his heart this message, freely you have received, freely give. So Keith decided, okay, Lord, if that's what you want, I'm in. So he said, the concerts are going to be free. Now, a number one recording musician surely has the right to insist on collecting revenues and admission from his concerts, right? That would be his right. But he willingly gave that up. But it didn't stop there. They also wouldn't take up a free will offering. The 2,000 plus albums that they brought for sale would also be given away for free. And all of the printed materials that they had that would help people learn how to walk with Jesus would also be distributed for free. Keith and Melody Green and Last Days Ministries took on all the expenses for their time of ministry in Tulsa because they felt that the calling of God was so obvious that they weren't going to let anything stand in their way. They were willing to do it no matter what the cost was to them. Now, this is a modern example of the attitude of giving up rights for the sake of the calling that the Lord puts on our lives. When the calling of God is what drives us, when it's what captures our hearts because we love the Lord, we're willing to do anything to see it through. Paul continues in verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Hasn't Christ called us to deny ourselves, just like Keith did? To take up our cross, just like Paul did, and to follow him? Yeah. Jesus asks exactly that of all of his followers in Matthew 16, verse 24. Deny yourselves, take up your cross, and follow me. Doesn't denying ourselves be, be, mean being willing to associate and identify with people from all walks of life so that we can find common ground and understand with them or an understanding with them that allows us to speak the truth and the love of Jesus Christ into their lives? I believe that's what it means. Shortly after high school, a couple that I knew from Winkler, their names are Don and Christy, they felt a call from God on their lives to enter the mission field. And they... They were willing to do whatever God asked. And God said that there's this tribe out on the other side of the world. I can't remember the country. I forget what it is, but it was on the other side of the world. They're a nomadic tribe. I want you to go with and live with them. I want you to learn about them. 
I want you to understand their language. I want you to to follow them as they move their village during different seasons. I want you to minister to them. And I want you to tell them about Jesus. Doesn't that sound impossible? Like, doesn't that sound like one of the hardest things you could ever do? I want you to unplug yourself from this culture where you feel comfortable. And I want you to put yourself in the most uncomfortable position possible and tell people about me. Don and Christy said yes. In fact, they moved there. They built a house in the trees just like this tribe did. They, they had their children out there in the bush. They raised them in the bush just like this tribe did. When this tribe would pick up and move along to follow the herds that were moving in different seasons throughout the area that they were in, they picked up and they moved and followed this tribe everywhere. They endured ridicule as this tribe would make fun of them for trying to learn their language. But after three years, they conducted their first Bible study in the language of these people. And the village started to turn their hearts over to Jesus Christ. I love that. I love when we see people who get it. They understand the calling. And they say that there's nothing greater than to answer it. Why would Paul... And why would Keith Green, why would Don and Christie willingly give up their rights? For a comfortable life, for an easier life. I think our answer is in verse 23, where Paul says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. What Paul means here is, I live my life like this, going all out, sharing the good news about Jesus every chance I get because I have been changed by the gospel. And I want you to be changed by the gospel too so that we can have the joy of knowing Christ together. Verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Friends, this is an an analogy. We are like runners who are running for a prize, straining towards the finish line. The prize that we run for is eternal. It's It's in heaven with Jesus. Any prize... Any prize that Jesus is offering, isn't that something that you would want to receive? Did my mic cut out? Friends, come on. Any prize that your Savior is offering to you, isn't that a prize that you want to receive? Yes. Yeah, absolutely, right? Who else wants this prize that Jesus is holding out to us this morning in this chapter? Who wants it? It's there. Jesus just says, start running. I'll run with you. Go into all the world and be sure of this. I will be with you to the end of the age. Oh, yeah. He's commissioning us. He's calling us. And he's running with us to complete the task that he has given us to complete. Training and discipline are imperative for us if we want the prize. Without discipline, some might not even finish the race. And Paul is telling us, Not to live aimlessly and without purpose, because we certainly have a purpose. You and I have a purpose in Christ Jesus. It's our calling. If you don't know what your calling is, 
If you haven't got a sense for the, from the Lord about what your role is in His kingdom, don't be afraid. Don't worry. Don't fret. We have a universal calling. Start there. As we start being obedient to Christ in the, in the things that we see in Scripture He's asking us to do, then He'll do what He says in verse 17. He says, oh, I can trust that one. Oh, that one's interested in my will. I can trust them. Oh, look at that. They're willing to sacrifice and they're willing to give up and they're willing to insist on not their rights, but actually the call that I've placed in the church. I can trust that one. And he will speak to you. And he will reveal to you the next steps that you're supposed to take. I have no doubt in my mind that Paul ran for Jesus. He didn't walk or jog. Like he ran. Full on, full bore. He lived without... He, or he lived, sorry, with full devotion to the King of Kings. His life wasn't about him. And that's one thing that I just so appreciate. So I guess... I don't have any grandiose finish with this message. I don't have a conclusion and an easy three-step program that as long as we do these things, we're all going to obey the Lord and our lives are going to be perfect, okay? All I have is a question. What do you want to do? Do you want to stay comfortable? Do you want to keep it easy? Or do you want to live the most wild and amazing adventure following God's call for your life? If that's what you want, tell Him. Just tell them. Worship team, why don't you guys come on up? I'm going to pray for us here. Jesus, thank you so much for this passage. I love, man, I love 1 Corinthians. We've, we've had so many things in it that are far from easy. That's for sure. They're not easy. They're They're challenging. They call us to live a life that is so different than what we would choose for ourselves. But, but Jesus, at Christian Fellowship Church, we're a church that we don't live for ourselves. That doesn't make any sense. As a matter of fact, living for ourselves doesn't mean that we're actually interested in having you as our Savior and our Lord. That's a bold statement. Whew. But it's so true. Lord, so we, we just want to kneel before you in our hearts. We want to kneel before you right now and just say, Lord, we, we willingly give up our lives for everything that you have for us. Jesus, where we're not eager or we don't desire you, Jesus, I pray that you would convict us and change our hearts. In the places where we seek comfort and pleasure and luxury, I pray that we would deny those things and say, no, you are not my God. But Jesus alone is my God. And I will follow him no matter what it takes. Jesus, I pray that we would understand that, that doing work for you isn't what we do to earn a reward necessarily, but the work that you give us is a reward. You reward people that you trust. So Jesus, I pray that we would be a trustworthy church. I pray that we would give our lives willingly and, and we would prove to you that, yeah, Jesus, we're in. Our decision that we made as a kid or at Bible camp or in our 20s or in our 30s or in a church service or at a revival or when an evangelist came to town or when we listened to a TV program or a radio program that talked about you, that decision that we made, Jesus, that wasn't it. That wasn't the end. That was just the beginning. And I pray, Father God, that you will call us 
Call us out. Call us to serve you. Call us to want to obey you. Jesus, give us a heart like Paul. Give us a heart like Keith Green. Give us a heart like Tegan or Don and Christy. Give us a heart like Madison. All of these people are just wonderful examples, Jesus, of people who have said, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, all we want is your will, your will, your way, in every facet of our lives. It may be painful, Lord, I I get that. But what we give up here pales in comparison to what we will receive from you in eternity. We're not living for this life, Lord. We're living for what's in store for us in heaven. Amen.